Hi, and welcome to Work Smarter, Not Harder, a podcast produced by Darshana Inc. Today, we are interviewing Brian Schuster, the founder of DevMint. He's a Web 2 and Web 3 self-taught blockchain developer who also mentors and teaches future developers in the ecosystem. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Yeah, great. Thank you so much for having me. So um, my name is Brian Schuster, and um, I, I guess we'll kind of start at the beginning because that'll give context to why I'm why I'm doing what I'm doing and how I got here. So I basically started off my career out of technology. I graduated with a business degree, and I never took a coding school, you know, or did, did any coding um, until I was already in my 20s. And when I graduated, I thought I, I was never going to get into development. It was just the thought. I came from a family that was like, okay, you go to school and then you work a job basically forever, you know, whatever discipline you are and you stay on that path. That was ingrained in my head. It wasn't until I went to a, 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 a camp basically that was about entrepreneurship because I thought, oh, I'm going to be in technology and I'm going to, you know, be a business founder, right? And I thought I would be in technology, but I'd be on the business side. And I talked to a lot of brilliant people, a lot of smart folks, and then it kind of just dawned on me that, man there was just not a lot of use for 20-something business people in technology. Like, I just realized that if I was going to do anything, like, I had to learn development. That was my path. And so I literally went home, and this was in 2012 at this point. There weren't a lot of online resources to learn. Like, boot camps really weren't a thing. You know, um, online courses were just getting started. Um, but really, I literally found a free book online called Learn Python the Hard Way. It was literally on HTML and was... Very, very simple, but it got me started. I spent probably 200, 300 hours studying Python just in a rush just because I was like, I was just so angry because I'm like, I need to get into development and that was my path to do it. And I was a mediocre, I was very, very bad at Python by the time I got done with that, but it started me on my path. And so from that point, basically, I was kind of considered myself a career changer. I worked all the way from basically being a glorified BA Um, and eventually worked into more and more technical roles until I eventually ended up as a DevOps engineer at IBM, which I eventually became the technical manager there. So I kind of, you know, at least in my own ideas, made it. Well, around that time, I got introduced to a local boot camp um, called Project Shift, and it's now known as Parsity. And I really connected with the students. I realized that even though they were on a different path than I was, th their struggles were my struggles. All the things they want to do. They want to get into technology. They want a bigger careers. They want to do more with their life. They don't want to be stuck, you know, you know, basically in dead end jobs or whatever. And I realized it's like, man, I really connected with these folks. And at that point, I had no clue I wanted to do a boot camp or technology or anything. I just wanted to, I, I just like helping these folks. That's that was really it. And so I probably spent from 2019 and all through the pandemic and even today just mentoring people, helping people. I wrote about it on LinkedIn. I talked talk to people online. I must, have, I must have mentored hundreds of people during that time, just helping them think through how exactly are you going to make this big transition? How are you going to get through? And whether or not it was a boot camp, career change, or whoever, I really loved that process. I loved helping those folks. Well, it wasn't until about early last year or late last year, so probably December 2020, you know, 2021, That uh, the person, the, the person who founded the boot camp that I was mentoring at, um, gentleman by the name of Aaron Hayslip, came to me and said, "Hey, I think there's an opportunity in Web 3 and there's an opportunity to start a boot camp here." And at that point, I'm like, "I'm still not really interested in starting a company. I never really considered myself an entrepreneur." But he came to me and I thought, "Okay, well, what are we, you know, what do we have?" Because I've been tinkering with Web 3 for years. I was a writer in the space, so I, I knew a lot about it, but I really wasn't sure if there was like an opportunity to start like a camp or and why we were the right people to do it. So as I started to do research on the industry, I realized that Web3, I always liked the technology, but as I started looking at the market and what opportunities were available and how people can actually get started in the industry, I realized that this was probably one of the greatest opportunities for ambitious career changers out there. The opportunity and the amount of effort you would put in to learn technology to get a move, your, your effort would be better spent in Web3. If your interest is making a big, big career change, a big opportunity, you want to make, you know, whatever your outcome is, you know, if you're looking for just big opportunity, 
there's just no better place than Web3. And I saw this through a number of factors. We'll get to that. And, you know, we can definitely talk about that. But after doing like a month of research, I'm like, I can't figure out why the hell they don't have more people in the space. I don't get why we don't have more Web2 developers moving into the space, but I've seen enough to know that I, I can make an impact. So my co-founder, who is the longest running boot camp director in the country, he's been doing this continuously since 2014, you know, running boot camps. And with my experience, we decided, okay, we're going to go launch this. And so we launched in, uh, you know, uh, actually, we just I started building the boot camp in January. We just launched in um, early July. We're on week three of the first cohort. And I got my students when we're basically introducing them to different communities. And we're just getting the mind blast every week of new thoughts and ideas and everything. So very excited. So we're on our way. We're, we're definitely, you know, we definitely launched. But we learned a ton about the industry in the, in the meantime. And it's just really just really fascinating how different of a space this really is, but how much opportunity there still is to be had here. And, and there will be for the foreseeable future. So that's my not so brief, brief introduction. I mean, uh, I love it. <laughs> uh, I love how you went from web two development to web three and how you created this program because you saw that there is not enough web three developers. Um, we actually saw a, a massive transition last year and this year at the beginning with the bullish market and how people were quitting their jobs at companies as Facebook and Google just to create a um, or build something new in Web3. And we saw how much money also um, projects were getting from protocols, right? That, that mm -hmm. brands were like, what? I, three, I, I saw once this protocol, Harmony, they were giving $300,000 million in, in grants for right. build on their protocol. So it was... It was really a bullish market. Like now we don't see that. Like the grants are paused. Everything is like what what's happening. But I think this is a the perfect time to learn um, and to educate yourself, right? So well, can you tell me? Oh, I'm sorry. Tell me. No, no, please, please. No, actually, answer your question. I would. I'd love to hear it. Oh, I would. I would love to know how DevMint works because I know you. You say it's a cohort program. That is it free? Is it if it has a cost? How many weeks? How how the the syllabus or the weeks work? And if later on you have job placement? Yeah, I'll, I'll give over. So I guess I should start with a caveat that my vision for DevMint is we give away like a lot of stuff for free. Like I'm I'm actually this week starting off a podcast basically talking about a lot of the lessons I've learned about here. Because I, I guess I'm someone who believes very, very deeply in self-taught education. If you have the effort and the structure and the time to basically go through and do this for free, I, I really think you can you could do this on your own if you wanted to. You could have that happen. DevMint is really designed for a very specific type of engineer. First and foremost, they have three to five years of experience. Really, they're enough that they can call themselves a senior engineer a mid to senior level engineer in some technology stack, full stack, analytics, backend, APIs, whatever it is, they've had a job title that was engineer or senior engineer around that level. That's the first kind of group we're targeting. We talk to other people who don't have that. There's lots of other piece, places, but those are the sort of people we're interested in upskilling. And two, they're really looking for big big opportunity change. Like we've talked to people who are interested in just kind of advancing their career and making like, you know, minor adjustments to their career or they want to stick in their company and grow. And while Web3 has a lot of interesting stuff, that's just that's just not the opportunity in the Web3 space today. The Web3 space really is kind of a big risk, big reward opportunity space where if you really wanted to change your career or become like the big thing, right? Because I kind of think people putting their money or whatever they're looking for into two buckets. There's what's going to pay your bills in the short term and the things that'll help that. And where's your lottery tickets, right? You know, whether or not you're an author, you're doing speaking, you're writing, you know, you're, um, you know, starting a, a, you know, um, a, you know, a new pro, like uh, you're building new software on your free time. Those are big opportunities. And those people tend to get the vision of Web3. They get the risk, but they also understand that this is the way that you could do that. So that you can make make significant progress quickly. And so that's the the other person. And so like those are that's really the paradigm of who we look for. 
And really for them, it's, it's, you know, we have a pretty simple offer. Basically we have an eight week cohort and um, it costs $5,000 basically to go into this. And we're mostly targeting people in the U S at this point. So like, you know, that's not an unreasonable rate. Most programs go between 10 and 20,000 for, for some of these programs. Some are a little bit less, but you know, my uh, Aaron runs another boot camp, and I think his boot camp costs like eighty nine hundred or something like that. So within the you know you know kind of below average, um, it goes on for eight weeks, and basically we're taking you through everything you need to be a Solidity developer. So we have a foundations pro, you know foundations week where we go through like the bare minimum you need to know about the underlying technology to build on blockchain because you don't need to understand. Things like consensus mechanisms, for example. There's a lot of talk about proof of work and proof of stake. And these are good things to understand. And depending on your space, they are really important. But for development purposes, it it doesn't really matter that much. We have one lesson we go through where we say, here are the basics of consensus you need to get, you need to understand. And it's really more about the underlying data structure and how consensus changes that and risk. But after that, it's just we're really about execution. We're really about writing smart contracts and building on top of smart contracts. So week, you know, the first week is really about foundations. Week two and three is really about deep diving into Solidity. We really go through all the details of what makes Solidity tick. And now as I'm starting to learn more about the larger blockchain ecosystem, like what Rust is doing, I'm starting to realize how much of that translates over because really, at the end of the day, I'm teaching Solidity, but I could be, I, I really want to be teaching smart contract architecture, right? I want to be teaching th- those that go across languages, you know, and, and new paradigms here. But for now, we're just on Solidity. So we really deep dive into Solidity. We talk about how executing code, you know, you know what actually happens when it hits chain on chain, how do you deal with calls external, all those integrated details. And then we really dive into token mechanics. I mean, we really dive into like, the mechanics behind how does ERC-20 work? How does ERC-721 work? How does ERC-1155 work? How do you deploy those? What's different between them? How do you call them? Because really, at the end of the day, assets are the most important thing in this blockchain. That is like as important as websites were to Web 1 and messages were to Web 2, assets, tokens are what's going to drive Web 3. And so understanding how they move across chains and how those standards proliferate is really important. Then we dive in. And so that gets you through the basics. That gets you through solidity. And then we dive into kind of what we think you need to be able to easily build on top of solidity, which means that you're learning hard hat, which is a, you know, kind of a development framework for building smart contracts. It's really, really cool tool. It's one of my favorite ones. And we spend a whole week on learning how to build good, safe environments, really professional grade environments that you could take to an employer and they would go and say, yep, you're going to fit right in with what we already have built. So how do you build with that? How do you automate tasks? How do you deploy to different networks? How do you make sure you're testing properly? All that stuff we go through a week. And we have a whole week basically on Ethers.js and React. How do you build UIs to basically sit on top of not just your own smart contracts, but other smart contracts in the ecosystem? How do you make sure that the users are getting errors back correctly? How do you integrate wallets? How do you, you know, how do you make that part of the ecosystem work? We do a week on that. And then kind of the last week of learning, which starts to transition to the next phase of the program, so we're about five weeks in, really gets to exploits, patterns, and architecture. And honestly, this could become a course on its own just because there's so much to dive into here. But really, we go through top exploits you need to know about the, you know, the you know, about writing in smart contracts and how to save them, top patterns you're going to be using and why those patterns exist. And we can, you know, there's a lot of details there. And top architectures, which, you know, if you're going to be building a common pattern, you need to do like, for example, I need to do an auction, an audit, something like that. We go into the details of what those actually look like, how to use oracles, things, things of that nature. That gets you through like the structured learning. But the entire time we're doing this, we're introducing our students to community, you know, the community. Um, We focus on senior level developers who are already significant contributors, this is something that this is something that's important because we know that all these folks need in order to be web3 you know web3 savvy is to understand a few basic things hard hat ethers good bit about solidity showing that they can deploy contracts but other than that they already have skill sets that are needed i mean that's kind of the secret with web3 organizations that a lot of the work looks like web2 
The underlying paradigm is shift because you're dealing with decentralized networks and that kind of changes the nature of everything you work on. But at the end of the day, it looks like, it looks like a lot of Web 2. You know, there's a lot of stuff that overlaps quite nicely. And so we've made the decision that we're getting our people introduced to communities early. So like right now, I'm in the process of introducing my team to Abe and their grants. We have a partners with Threshold Network, which is deals with proxy re-encryption. Um, we have even, you know, new Web3 startups that we're deal- dealing with. They're like on the enterprise side that we're introduce- introducing the team just so they can start seeing what does the community have to offer? What can I do? And figuring out what exactly they can do to contribute to this, uh, you know, this, this larger community that exists out in the world. You know, what can I do there? And so really the final three weeks is about building community projects and then, and this is what I think the final project is going to look like. We're still kind of deciding what the best structure is for this. It's probably going to be each student's going to pick a community and they're going to pick a problem that they found. Not something that we found, something that they found and go and say, okay, based on my skill set and what I offer them, here's a problem I'm going to solve for them. And literally their final project is I'm going to go solve this. Use tokens, use Solidity, use hard hat, use everything you learned during the program and build something for this one community to show that they've actually that they can actually do something. And that's their, that's their final project. And then once they complete that, basically, the goal then is placement. We are going to go and find you a job in the ecosystem. We have a list of partners and a list of organizations we work with that we do, you know, that we do placements for and basically get them a job, you know, hopefully with one of our partners. Um, and this is kind of the big wraparound to the beginning. So I mentioned that there's a $5,000 fee for the course. If the students get through the program, so if they graduate, and if they get placed with a partner, they get that full feedback. So at the end of the day, the $5,000 is really there to just incentivize them to get through the program. But then they basically get the feedback 100% at the end. And then we get paid for placement for the you know these partner organizations. And so at the end, the students get a great education and has basically been front, you know, fronted by the organization that ends up hiring them, which is something we're quite happy about. And so that's, in short, what Devman School is um, and what we do here. I'm more than happy to dive into any details and answer any questions if there's, if there's more, because there's a, as, as you can tell, there's a lot to dive into. I mean, I, I, I think you explained it perfectly. Um, I follow your, your train of thought, and it was <laughs> so detailed. I actually want to open this space for the audience, if anybody out there anyone has a question for for Brian, please, this is the perfect time. I see some of our community members, some of them are developers, some of them are Web2 developers transitioning to Web3. So, I mean, this is a perfect time to ask questions and I'm going to um, open the mic to anyone who, who wants to request it. Uh, so, yes, that's I want any anyone here to know that. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, Brian, what you really, really are probably the, um, I don't know. I, I talked a lot with developers and sometimes they explain things so, so confusing <laughs> for <laughs> a person who is not a developer. And I, I don't know if because you're a teacher or you like are used to teach students, you know, and, and you have these, uh, um, didactic personality, but you explained it so well. I wanted to ask you, what is the hardest thing you encounter when building on Web3, on blockchain? Um, so the hardest thing, I think, so that's a good question. So I think for this audience here, I think, especially if you're, you've been building in Web2, so let's just say you're an existing developer. Let's say for that individual, what is the biggest challenge you're going to have? It's that you are going to have blind spots in your development because you're working with Web3 and your likelihood of pushing critical bugs is going to be significant unless you unlearn some of your practices. So let me give an example. Um, I, I don't know how familiar you folks are with the Ethereum ecosystem um, but for anyone who, who doesn't know, I'll tell the full story. So there, there was a, a project, very ambitious pro- British project that was from the Ethereum Foundation called the DAO, D-A-O, D- uh, you know, Decentralized Autonomous Organization. And now describes a class of 
organization or a class of contract. But back in the day, this was like the first one, you know, and this was 2016 or 2017. Um, but I think it was 2016 that basically came out and basically it would be a giant, effectively like a giant crowdsourced VC fund. This was a big project. Everyone really liked it. And so every, like so many people invested tokens into this thing. I think at one point it held, like, I think to date, it is the smart contract that held the most Ethereum. At the time, it was worth $150 million, but back then, Ethereum was like 20 bucks a pop. So it was, it, it, it had a significant amount of the community's wealth. And then one day, somebody went and was able to drain the entire account. They were able to take everybody's funds and pull it into their own contract. And th that's the thing. This is this is this was major because at that point it was like this is a smart like we have some of the best smart contract developers in the world working on this thing. We have people going, you know, looking at this thing. How in the hell were they able to do that? And this is what actually happened. Um, I can't show you an example, but I can explain to you. So for the developers in the room, and even if you're a non-developer, I'll help explain this. So basically, when you go into the code, there's two separate things you do with the contract. There's a state that says you own X number of tokens, and that's how much you put into a DAO. So if I submitted 1,000 ETH, somewhere in the contract, it stores and says you have 1,000 ETH. So there was a function that allowed me to withdraw. And when you withdraw, there are two things that need to happen. One thing is I need to transfer you your tokens back because it says, hey, I, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Give me back my money. So that first thing happens. Then the second thing that needs to happen is the state of the contract needs to be updated. So literally, there was some variable that said, hey, you this person has a thousand. And basically, the contract needs to go and says, OK, you pulled out your thousand. You now have zero. There's two ways you can write that because there's only two functions. You can either change the state first to say, you have zero, now I'm going to give you your money, or I'm going to give you your money, then change the state. In traditional computing, this is almost meaningless. This would be something you wouldn't even think about. You know, that it wouldn't come up in a code review, anything. It's just you just changed what you did there because you sent out the call and then you update or whatever. Or maybe you have your paradigm, but it's trivial. But the way the smart contract developers wrote it was that they sent the money first then they updated the contract. This was the flaw. This was the thing that lost $150 million because the attacker wrote a contract that's called something called a reentrancy attack because as soon as they received their money, they immediately recalled the contract and said, I want to make a withdrawal. And what they effectively did, and again, without showing you code, it's hard to explain exactly how this loop happens, but effectively, they were able to call the contract 100,000 times, and the state of how much they owned never changed. They never were, it never updated. So the DAO just thought they had, you know, they, the DAO knew it had 1,000, but because they never updated the state, they were able to call this function 100,000 times and able to drain the money from everyone else. And they got the funds. And I mean, this is something you can go look at the transactions, exactly what happened. And yeah, they ran it like all these times. And this lost everyone a lot of money. And it's all because of one single line of code. You could have had run, you know, the best coding, you know, you could have run software, you could have run all these things. This wouldn't have showed up as an error anywhere, you know, there. Now, now you have stuff that says, oh, we have re-entrancy guards to make this work. But back then, you just didn't have these sorts of things. And the truth is, is that, Every single bug I have ever looked at inside of Solidity has that nature for it, right? Okay, because I was a you know DevOps engineer at IBM. I spent a lot of time looking at code that was causing issues, and nine times out of ten, it was okay, dumbass. This is what you did wrong here. You know, oh, you pushed the GitHub secret. You opened this thing. You didn't password protect this thing here. It was an obvious error. It was something that was obviously this is wrong here, you made a mistake. In Solidity, it's the reverse. Nine times out of 10, it's not obvious what went wrong. It's a line that was flipped. It was a call somewhere in the chain that accidentally used delegate call instead of call, and that caused all the issues. It's a you know, variable that was made you know, internal as opposed to private, 
which caused a lot of issues from other contracts there. It's things of that nature. And so this is kind of the big issue for Web2 developers coming in. And that, and that's the thing that we spend the most time talking about because there's no way to really learn these things by reading documentation. It's really just example after example after example until you finally start to get the core of, okay, this is how you use these things. And it's not just exploits either. Gas usage is the same way where in web, you, you, you would make decisions in Web3 that seem horribly, horribly inefficient from a Web2 perspective, but in Web3 is optimal because you save the user's gas. And so you do these awful things in assembly code or some other language, you know, to basically get the gas cost down. But it's all because of gas savings there. So really, I would say that's the biggest issue. That's the thing that I think you have the hardest time there. And really, the only thing you can do is you need to learn solidity and you just need to spend a lot of time looking at examples to understand where exactly it is. There's no best answers. There's just the best answers we know so far, if that makes sense. It does. It does. And it's crazy that that happened to the DAO. That I think it was the first DAO. I heard this story many times, but I never knew how it happened. So thank you so much for sharing the, the full story. Uh, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's like uh, we are in, at the beginning of the beginning and everything is by experience and proof of error, proof and error, you know, like, um, I mean... I know now why many developers don't want to do a transition. It's it's a, it's a complex language, I think. Uh, but at the end, it's high reward. Um, the jobs that are offering the the salaries are amazing, and and it is going to be the technology of of the future. So it's a perfect time to learn it. Yeah, um, yeah. Actually, there's something I I want to point out there, and that's another transition thing. Actually, I'll be. I mean, I'm doing my podcast recording today, so I've been thinking about this idea. It's something I saw from my students, actually, which is this. Like, when you're in the Web2 space, you think of, I want to go solve opportunities. You kind of have this model in your head of what an opportunity looks like, which is, oh, I need a website built. Can you build me this website? Right? And then there's, like, design choices and things like that. And, like, you know, if you're a consultant, maybe you're like, oh, they didn't think through the infrastructure. But it's like, it's kind of like they're bringing you a full problem. There's a full thing that exists out there. Um, and even like deeper technologies, oh, I need a database that does this thing. You know, I need this. And it's like, as a developer, you may have questions, but like the person who's coming to you like kind of knows what the problem is and they kind of come as whole solutions. They just need someone to build it. And that's like the majority of Web2 problems you see today. Even like for early startups, I'm advising a um, uh, new social media platform, basically, and they're going through the early decisions for the architecture. And even for something as complex as that, we see all the details. It's just a matter of what decisions you make along the way. But there's no like real unknowns in this thing, you know. Not until we get to, you know, deep down the line, do we have like the first truly challenging problems. But in Web three, it's like most of the challenges that come out really kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, like, I, I mean, I've talked to people who are in the space for like, like since 2013, you know, like one of my advisors has been, you know, is a Gnosis DAO, you know, PM basically. And he's, he, he runs a bunch of teams. He does a lot of things. It's been working in Ethereum since 2016 and been in the space since 2013. And yet there's commonly problems that I'll come to and say, Hey, do we have a solution for this thing that I just thought? And he's like, Nope, we do not have a solution for that. And so if you're used to Web 2 having full problems given to you, that's something that you need to unlearn for the Web 3 space. It's almost like you need to propose solutions in this space. You need to be proactive to go out and say, you say there's an issue. Because like what I'm seeing my students go through is they're like, shit, Brian, I, you just introduced me to this community. But man, like they don't have this. They don't have that. They don't have these, like these UX issues. They're, they have like crazy and like to them, they see these as real issues, right? They see it, they're thinking of it in a Web2 context. Like, why isn't someone sitting there structuring this problem and then handing it to us, you know? Or why hasn't somebody thought of that? Versus I'm seeing there, I see opportunity, 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 opportunity. You need to come in and give the structure, but by being the person who can bring that structure and come up with a solution, you just proved your value 10 times over. That's the way you make progress. And so that's that's a that's also another challenge, and that's not really a technical thing. That's a that's a cultural thing that takes time to really 
figure out how to do because it's because what what you would do there if you did that at a web two company like you'd be <laughs> stepping on people's toes and getting into political issues and all this other stuff versus web three it's a necessity you know and that's kind of what we're hoping to train people in is to figure out how do you be proactive and find the right way to engage without waiting for anyone to tell you to go and do it i i i mean i i love it it's like you said, it's the perfect opportunity for people to go and to and to be proactive and to solve and to have this space to build, right? It's but it's so hard as well. It's like it demands a lot of of a person. I yep. I know this girl who was um, studying cyber security on Web three, and she she started her own newsletter and it was unlearning that's the name of the newsletter unlearning because she had to like program herself in a different way to start actually uh building on top of 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 solely of ethereum oh, yeah. um, what what are the top qualities or skills a developer should have to enter this space like what do you think they need to to develop in themselves <laughs> Sure, sure. So, okay, so the, I'm going to caveat this with this is a very today statement. This is not something that I would say, like, you know, 20 years from now, this is necessarily going to be true. Because, like, part of what Web3 culture is today is also startup culture, right? Because all the, a lot of these organizations are small, they're new, they're coming out. So it's undoubtedly a different sort of beast, but we don't know exactly how different it's going to be from traditional organizations. We know there's a difference, but we don't know how that ends up. So what I'll say is that like, I'm trying to find an answer that's like true for the next five years or so. And I think that's a, that that's being conservative, but you know, in the future, this might normalize out where this is not necessarily true. But today, if you want to be really useful in web three, the first kind of skill is that traditional development skills are going to be killer for the foreseeable future you know, or just useful skills in general. You know, I folk, the reason I talk about developers is because I focus on a technical book booting boot camp. And this is something my co-founder and I said, it's like, well, we could move to non-technical, but it's like, for us, everything we know moves on to the technical side. That's what we want to focus on. But I know this to be true elsewhere where it's like, hey, they need marketing people too. They need good community people and they don't know how to do community well. They need salespeople. Like all these things are true, but Having a deep discipline in one area to start is a really good thing because this is a unless you're a very, very entrepreneurial or very sort of can handle the chaos well type person. This is a really bad area for new folks to enter as their like first way of learning. Like I'm not going to say that's universally true in all cases. That's not going to be true. Sometimes there's going to be people who really who, who thrive in that sort of environment you know, who, who, who can take the chaos and it's like, yeah, that it shapes in which case that's, that's one of the biggest opportunities for them to get in early and do that. But for most people having that, you know, normal job, so to speak, normal web to normal development, whatever is a good thing to teach you the skills that are already useful, right? Because when you go into web three space and you start building, it's like, Hey, guess what? They need APIs. They need subgraphs built for them for their different, you know, Organizations, they need infrastructure built and infrastructure is going to look a lot like cloud infrastructure. They're going to need security um, like, like I, I, you know, the um, CSO, chief security officer of Polygon, who is a Web3, Web2 expert, says that today, like he's got people who know Web3 security in his organization. They're quite good at it, but they have fewer people who are good at Web2 security. So the big battles right now he's fighting has more to deal with Web 2 security than Web 3 security. So having those traditional skills is really, really useful. So if you don't know where to start with Web 3 and you don't know there, first just start with your traditional coding skills. Anything like JavaScript, Rust is really big, but not even like Rust blockchain, JavaScript blockchain, or Solidity. Just learn those languages well and know what, you know, and, and, and bet down in them to actually become good at them because those are the things that are going to help you actually be able to transition when you wish to. So that's the first thing. The second thing you can do, and this is the really key thing, because this is more of a soft skill, is learning about the Web3 industry early. And if you have an interest in the space, if you want to grow, learning how to find people you enjoy working with, seeing projects and investing in them, and not just investing money, but time, energy, energy, 
you know, whatever, going to the hackathons, meetups, whatever, and then finding ways to, uh, to produce small amounts of value for them. You know, first off, by just being a good community member, but second off, by doing small projects, small things to help them out, you know, and, you know, contributing time, whatever it is, will help you start to get the feel for what the industry is doing. This is the part that we kind of teach quickly at DevMint School, but getting folks on Discord, having them read through the documentation, going through the tutorials and using them and then showing the team, hey, how this is how it works, answering developer support questions are all things to help grow you into those communities and learn how to start to spot problems. If you are in Web3 today, or basically like if you're in Web2 and want to get into Web3, this doesn't seem like a serious step because it's not how you get into Web2. You don't go into Web2 by saying, oh, I'm going to join like, you know, the open source community at IBM or Google's open source initiative. No, no. You, you, your main thing is you want to get a job at those organizations. That's the right thing. When I talk to career changers in web, you know, in traditional jobs, we teach them how to basically go get a job and structure their resume to be able to do that. But in Web3, it's completely reverse. Most of their hires, most of the people who end up eventually making it into a job start off as people in communities, people who are out and about in the world just doing their thing and then being spotted by people by saying, you're providing a lot of value. We need somebody who knows community. We need a program manager. We need people who are you know, who has this set of skills, can you come over and help us build? That's the way it works. And so that's the second thing. And then the third thing kind of necessarily builds off the second, being able to structure your time so that you can actually commit some number of hours to this on a consistent basis. Now, here's the thing. I, I don't know what your guys' background is. I don't know if you're super interested in Web3 or if it's just kind of a casual side thing or whatever. For me, this is not talking to people who are casually interested in this. Because quite honestly, like I have so many areas I'm interested in. Web3 just happens to be the area where I'm like, this is the best for my mission. This is the best place for me to be based on my personal mission and what I want to do in the world. That's why I'm here. But there are other areas I'm interested in. I'm very interested in 3D art. I'm very interested in metaverse. I'm very interested in VR and these other spaces. And if you're not completely sold on Web3, and it's like, well, okay, well, you're probably best spent finding something that you are more interested in and then doing what I'm saying for them, right? You know, getting into a metaverse group or data science or machine learning, whatever, whatever really gets you interested, your passions are best spent there. But if you looked at Web3 and you're saying, there's something pulling me in this direction, I don't know what. Maybe you're not technical today. Maybe you're, you know, maybe you're, you remember, or you don't know. You don't know who you are, but you're like, I'm interested in there. The best thing you can do is to start to structure your free time, right? Because you'll have your day job, you have the thing that brings in money, and that's a really good thing to have. Having money to pay your bills and do what you need is a really good place to be, and giving it up for a potential to join a new opportunity is often not worth the risk. It just isn't. But if you do have that job, if you do have that stability, and you're like, hey, I have time that I can take out half an hour a night or an hour a night, learn to structure your time so that you can start learning about this stuff. Go into communities and start experimenting. Go read documentation. Play with a tutorial for this new tool. It doesn't even matter what it is, you know? Follow rabbit holes. Go down. Like, I, I remember I did something similar, not related to Web3, but I was interested in game development for a period of time. And I loved Unity, and I was a traditional developer. But then I, like, all of a sudden, like, you know, I was doing Unity. I'm like, this is really easy, but... The art part is really, really hard. Why is that? I thought it would, be easy, it would be easier. So then I actually started studying art. And now basically in my nights and weekends, I spend a lot of time doing 3D Blender art. And now, even though this is like a total rabbit hole, it's like, I have no idea where this is going to end. All of a sudden the engines turn and I'm starting to realize, boy, this is this difficult. What's going to happen if like VR ends up becoming really popular and all of a sudden, a lot of brands that aren't doing any sort of digital animation or digital 3D modeling really need to get in. What's going to happen to the talent market there? And so all of a sudden, this thing that seemed like it was totally disconnected from what I'm doing may very well make my next big opportunity. For you in Web3, it may be the same thing. You might start off thinking, you know, oh, you know, I really love Web3 because I really like NFTs and tokens. And you may fall down, fall down a helm where it's like, boy, I really want to learn PhD level cryptography, because there's just something fascinating about this stuff to me. That's a really good thing to do. 
But if you're unable to structure your free time, your nights, weekends, whatever time you have to give yourself the ability to explore, a lot of it is going to be, you're just not going to have the ability to do that. So I guess those are my three big lessons. Get a good technical skill, use your day job, whatever it is to build into that, you know, build that structure. And two, start diving into communities, start figuring out how to be a good community member. Don't worry about opportunities. Don't worry about getting paid. Just be worried about being a good community member and giving value. And then three, give yourself the time to be able to structure that so that you can consistently come back and explore new and interesting opportunities. If you do those three things, what I find is that opportunities just start falling in your lap. And you're, you're dealing with a different question then, which is, which of these three things that I'm staring at right now is the best for me in the future, as opposed to, oh, how do I get started? So that's what I would recommend. I mean, you heard it from the master. Guys, if you want to become a developer or even when when you talk, Brian, you talk about also like following your passion, like structuring your life and your free time to follow your mission or passion or interests, those things are just going to give you a, a path in what you really want to do in life, right? And I, I appreciate that you say, do, do not quit your job. Your ba- like, <laughs> I mean, do, don't take that leap. Just like study, uh, involve yourself in, into a community, uh, into Discord, and then structure your free time. I mean, every time a, a, a member of Darshana comes and says like, oh, I would love to start my Web3 journey, but I'm not a developer. I don't know how to start. Uh, I will. I the first thing that I, that I ask is like, what is your, how is your career being? Like, what what's your previous job? Why do you want to start in this um, business? And they're like, oh, I just feel so interested. And I I don't know. I was like, I was in customer service uh, before, or I was my only experience was being a waiter. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, you also develop skills in being a waiter or transferable skills, you know, like you, you deal with customers, you deal with people that are uh, going through a lot of stress in that moment or like hectic, uh, random place. I just try to see what really skills they have. And most people are becoming like uh, really knowledgeable about uh, Web3 by reading and watching tutorials on YouTube and, and just consuming a lot of content and then going into discourse spaces uh, or Twitter spaces and basically help people out as well transitioning into the space like hmm. uh, buying crypto or NFTs or how to use Discord and they become like community managers and, and then uh, um, they want to do uh, content, social content, and write blogs and just share their stories. And I feel it's a great way to start, but also contributing, for example, to DAOs. Uh, they need a lot of help, and most people are just helping that, helping them out, and that's how they got spotted. And developers as well, they are making that transition by contributing and then quitting their jobs i i i know this developer from uh facebook right now uh, she's actually a ux U, ui designer she's not a she's a researcher not a developer but um she's getting paid she's probably 23 years old getting paid 300k a year in facebook she hmm. wants to quit her job right now to start building on web3 and starting her own project and she, she's, I don't want to say her name because uh, she hasn't quit her job right now, but she created this amazing um, um, business in Web3 with right now 10,000 10, women in the space, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like um, such an amazing place to see people grow. Um, do you? Why do you think is the reason that devs are not that into this space yet like we don't have that many talent so this is well this is the main problem aaron and i my co-founder are trying to solve it's it's the big question because like here here, because here's the thing like look like let's take another area that i've that i've researched and looked into and answer the same question why aren't more developers given into cryptography And when you look into cryptography, it's pretty easy. One is that if you want to be a serious cryptography researcher, 
you have to know a lot of prerequisite knowledge to get into the space. You cannot not understand deep mathematical principles to be involved there. Even if you're just dealing with it, let's say you're not building the algorithms, but using them, you still, one, have to understand how to use them, and two, understand the deep security implications of the decisions you make in your protocol and to understand that before you put it out, just because security is such a high-risk area. So when you look there, it's like, why aren't people looking there? It's like, well, it's pretty easy. They don't have the prerequisite knowledge, and you need a ton of experience to do it well. And so like, there's, there's, a, there's a good reason why you can't move over. Versus like we take Web3, it's like, well, many of the organizations I'm working with are working not on building smart contract platforms, but using them, right? And using them is an order of magnitude easier than writing platforms. You know, it's still a knowledge shift, but it's not as big of a knowledge shift as a going and learning, uh, you know, cryptography or something there. So for me, it's like, well, no, that's not the case. Um, the pay is good. So that's that's a very that's a peculiar thing where it's like the pay is good there. These organizations are exciting. They are very mission focused. They are truly, you know, you know, in there. So it's like there's no you know opportunity. You know, there, there's no, you know, risk. You, you know, there is not like your current job at Google or Facebook is going to be, you know, more exciting than this. This is clearly the more exciting space. And the upside opportunity is quite, quite large. So it's like you have all these factors here, and it's like, God, that's really weird. I would expect like a stampede of people come in this direction, but we don't have that. And so I, I don't really know the answer, um, but just based on my early research and starting to marketing, I feel like there is a shallow awareness of the industry in general, that most people have very shallow, poorly, poorly uh, formed opinions about the space, and they just really – haven't thought of it because like the truth is, is that web three is, is a different beast than web two. And it's not obvious why it is, you know, I mean, like, that's the thing. I had a mentor at IBM who, you know, as I was leaving, basically was telling me how web three was just going to go to shit base, you know, this whole space. And basically all the arguments he were using, was just like, it's just the database that exists in the cloud. And I'm like, no. Okay. <laughs> like, like they just, you know, there's just a lot of people who don't, don't get it right. on there. And like, there's some people who do have deep objections to the space. Like, there are people who have there. I'm not talking about them. Most of the people just see the monkey gifts, for example, or they see bored apes or dumb NFT scams or some other person that you know did it. And like, that's like their only exposure to the industry. One is that the MSNBC is now talking about Bitcoin all the you know, you know talking about Bitcoin all the time. And two people are selling digital pictures of monkeys on the internet. And that's, that's about the extent of it. So like my first theory I'll be testing this year is that it's about shallow awareness. And I don't think most people are trying to reach out to general developers. I, I think that people like most people who write for web three kind of write for the industry. I don't think that's their intention, but now it's kind of like everyone who listens to web three podcasts are already in the web three industry you know, and we're try we're really focused on getting developer talent. So we're going to be doing podcasts based on really just talking about what what is this industry, what does it take to be successful here, how you know why how is this different, what is the good, bad, and the ugly of it, that sort of thing. That's the first theory. Second theory is basically that there is a lot of education out there, but it's kind of out of context of why it's useful. Like here's a tutorial how to use an oracle. That's great. Why are oracles useful? You know, like those hard questions where you shift to shift paradigms just like aren't aren't happening, you know, at the scale that that I would assume would need to be there to make this work. Again, I'm not 100 percent certain. I'm guessing that this is the case. But like I know for me, like when you took a look at the transition from, you know, people who weren't in, you know, because I'm old enough to remember when there was before the Internet and after the Internet it took a lot of years and a lot of iterations for people to really get why this technology mattered and how it was different. I mean, there was reason, there was literally a time guys where there was a debate of, uh, yeah, I could use email, but I, I, you know, I already send a letter. I already go to the, my post box every day. It really doesn't do much better than that. You know, I mean, that was an actual discussion people had in the nineties all the damn time. You're going to have that same thing with Web3. It takes a lot of innovation and somebody spending a lot of time 
re-explaining the same damn subject over and over again in slightly different ways to start reaching out to people. And really then having ways for people then to start acting on that, to say, well, okay, fine, Web3 might be interesting in this one use case. How do I get started? So my whole theory is if we get awareness and we get that out to a large group and then give them easy onboarding to get them more and more interested, we'll eventually bring them through the threshold of, you know, well, some percentage will just say, screw this, I'm not interested, I'm going to go play VR, you know, that's a perfectly reasonable outcome. But some percentage of them will come out and say, you know what, actually, yeah, there is something interesting here. I finally get it. What can I do about it? And then that's where DevMint School, a lot of the other programs that we're a part of actually come in and play. So that's my theory. You know, check check back in a year to see if it's bear for you. It's born fruit. I mean, you are absolutely right. I think there we need. There's a lot of uh, work to be done to domesticify like uh, the the Web three space. A lot of people came because of NFTs, um, because of the bullish market, and don't really understand uh, the blockchain and the technology behind and. I feel that's why we don't have a lot of people. They they really think it's a scam. They really think some some of them. It's like uh, it's so speculative. Uh, I don't I I don't want anything to do with it. And it's like I just saw yesterday a TikTok. It's a viral TikTok that is a blockchain for babies, and it's a, a quantum physics for babies. It's like a, a, a baby book right uh just like for dummies you know but everything right. for babies and i feel like it was a wonderful idea like start and <laughs> start them young you know and i'm, I'm well, gonna start buying all of those books for christmas and just giving them to my to my uh, little nieces and, and nephews yeah and and actually i want to point something out you said there because it is important because That was my theory too, right? That people did think they were scams, that they were thought there, right? And then you have like, right, the TikTok and the kind of the algorithm and the hive mind that's behind it makes it seem like there's this big objection to NFTs, right? And when you go against groups, right, you get comments that are kind of going one direction versus another. It makes it seem like there's this big force. But the thing that I learned talking to people over and over again is that the vast majority of developers have very little idea of what actually sits there. Like that's why that's why I said shallow opinions because they don't because the, all they know is those TikToks or those things. They really haven't done any deep research or they have and more importantly haven't met anyone that's actually really passionate about it. I mean, that's the thing when they meet me they actually just start listening because they haven't actually heard someone that's like, "Oh, you actually are in this industry and get it and don't seem like you're full of shit. What can you do actually like, okay, so what does it actually do? So like, that's that, I guess that's the bet right now that we're not really going up against this big force of anti-crypto. It's a lot of really shallow opinions where people aren't really sure what the value is. And the point mm -hmm. is, is to start move them more to deeper understanding, right? Whether or not they like it or don't like it is not my business. I'm just here giving them the best information that I know it's up for them to decide. But if you do that with enough people and you really show them what it's actually doing, allow them to do their own research, you eventually get some percentage that go and say, yep, I get it. This is for me. Let's go. So mm -hmm. that's, that's, I guess, the point. For the people that you know, it's really most don't have really deep opinions on this stuff. Not well informed. <laughs>